And so the Apostle Paul sets out there the Lord's Supper, communion, what it is, what it's about, and how we are to approach it as the people of God. Let us unite together in prayer. Let us seek the Lord as we come to consider his word. Let us pray. Eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, we rejoice this morning we can be found again in thy house. We can meet with thee. We can lift our voices heavenward uh, to our Savior and to our God. And Father, we rejoice in thy day, the Lord's day, may be a day of blessing to our hearts, a day of blessing to our souls, a day that is the market, day of the soul, as we meet and as we feed upon thy word. And Father, in this class, we pray that thou would continue to teach us, continue to instruct us in the way that we ought to go, continue to teach us the things of God. And Father, we do think of the Sunday school downstairs, the boys, the girls, the teachers, bless them, we pray. May each one have that testimony of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that thou would bless each home, each family, even represented for the glory of thy name. Bless us here and do our souls good as we consider Christ and his death for us in the context of this table. And we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. So as we come to week number four, the question is asked, what is communion or the Lord's Supper, as it is often called? And it is a sacrament. It is a badge. It is a symbol. It is also a command of the Lord. And as the Lord's people, we need to understand this, that the Lord commands two things of us regarding the sacraments, that we participate in baptism, that we are baptized, and secondly, that we partake of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper differs from baptism in the sense that baptism is once, but the Lord's Supper takes place many times throughout your life. There are churches that celebrate the Lord's Supper maybe once or twice a year, maybe every quarter. There are churches like us who celebrate it once per month. And there are some churches that celebrate it every week. And they come together every service once on the Lord's Day to remember the Lord's death. And so this sacrament is something that is a regular and consistent thing throughout our lives. And that differs from baptism. Because we have a baptismal service here. Well, if you've been baptized before, you will not be being baptized again and again and again. It is a one-off sacrament, we could say. But or the Lord's Supper is something that continues. And we see this laid out in 1 Corinthians 11. What it is, what it is about, it is a badge. And we publicly, as we come to the table, we declare our faith in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. And we have two symbols, the bread and the redness of the wine, the juice, the cup, that represent the bread, the body, and the cup, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, we have the Lord Jesus himself instituting this supper to his disciples. 
And in verse 19, he says, or it says, And he took bread and gave thanks, and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, the cup, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. And the command is given to remember. Remember, this is what we are to do. The apostles were to do this. The church of Christ is to do this, to come together, to partake of bread, remembering the body of Christ that was broken for us, and partaking of the cup that reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shed for us, And the apostle here in Corinth reminds the church of the importance of this ordinance. There had been corruptions, and this supper was not treated in the way that it ought to be treated. We won't go into some of these issues here, but the apostle takes the opportunity to set out that this supper, this sacrament, is a command, and it is a solemn thing. It is a solemn thing. We're not to come lightly to the Lord's table. We're not to come, and I'll give an example. We're not to come to the Lord's table and think, well, I'm actually hungry, and I can't wait to the end of the service. I get a little little drink. I get a little piece of bread, and, you know, you're focusing on that. That's a secular and worldly and fleshly outlook, and it treats the Lord's Supper lightly, lightly. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance of the death of Christ. That is a serious thing. That is a solemn thing. And in light of that, we do have a minimum age for coming to the Lord's table. As we have with baptism, the age of 16, so that the individual is old enough to understand what this is about. What this is about. It's a solemn thing. And the people of God who gathers the church are commanded to partake in the Lord's Supper using these visible signs of Christ's death. It is a means of grace to strengthen our faith in the redeeming work of Christ and it nourishes our souls. We receive grace. Every time you partake in communion, you're pledging allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. In our congregation, we do not use wine Alcoholic wine, we have a policy of abstaining from alcohol. We'll come to that in the membership course later on. But we use grape juice that keeps with the red nature of the wine that reminds us, a symbol of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this supper is a supper of spiritual nourishment to us. The larger catechism asks the question, what is the Lord's Supper And this is a good, a clear definition of the Lord's Supper. The answer is given. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament of the New Testament, whereby, or wherein, by giving and receiving bread and wine according to the appointment of Jesus Christ, his death is showed forth, and they that worthily communicate feed upon his body and blood to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace, have their union and communion with him confirmed, testify and renew their thankfulness and engagement to God and their mutual love and fellowship each with other as members of the same mystical body. 
and that mystical body being the invisible church of Christ, not some sort of magical thing, uh, but the invisible church of Christ, the entire church. And it is an honor for a redeemed sinner to participate in communion in the Lord's church. And that catechism indicates to us what it is all about. And it indicates the seriousness of this. This is not something we come ignorantly into or we come without thinking. We should come to the Lord's table understanding the importance of it. And again, that word, and I like that word when we come to the Lord's table, solemnity. Coming with that seriousness of heart, remembering what Christ did for us. It is a badge of profession as a Christian. It is for the nourishment of our souls. It is for our rededication unto God, our partnering, partnering with fellow believers who are members of the head, even Christ. And it is something that we can have fellowship and communion one with another. So communion is important. And every church should practice it. Every church should also guard it. Should guard it because it can be abused. We see that in the church of Corinth. This memorial feast was abused. But it must be treated with reverence. And the best way to guard it is to preach the cross of Christ. To place a distinction between the lost and the saved. And those who strive for godliness and those who are off the world. Some churches will strictly fence the table and only allow members to participate in individuals whom the elders have approved because it is an important sacrament. I'm not criticizing them at all, but that is the seriousness of how they take it. It is an important sacrament, and therefore they guard who will partake. They guard who will partake. We fence the table, and perhaps we could describe this a little better uh, by this statement. We fence the table by personal conscience. We make it clear it is only for the Lord's people, those who are saved, those who are redeemed. And everyone is offered, but it is up to the individual to make that choice by conscience. Should I accept this because I am a child of God, saved and redeemed and walking in his ways, or should I refuse it? Because Christ is not my Lord and he is not my personal Savior. And so uh, we fence it by what I could best describe as personal conscience. The command is given to partake. The warning is given as we see in 1 Corinthians 11 regarding, regarding being unworthy or unworthy partakers. And then it is guarded by personal conscience. Are you saved? Do you believe in Christ? Are you a child of the king? Then come and partake. If not, consider what we've said and refrain from partaking. It is horizontal. It is unto our fellow blood-washed saints, showing that we are one in Christ. We are all members of one body, with Christ as our head. It is also something that is vertical, because it goes unto God. It shows that we are redeemed sinners. We are not our own, but we are bought with the precious blood of Christ. And we must glorify God in our bodies and our spirits. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16 says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, sharing of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion, sharing of the blood of Christ? And in the Lord's Supper, the benefits of Christ's death are appropriated to the believer through his 
faith. The Apostle Paul declared that communicants receive spiritual benefit from Christ as the fruit of his death. And at that communion feast, the Lord pours in his grace as faith is exercised in Christ. The Lord calls each professing Christian to participate in the communion feast because it is a love feast between the Lord and his redeemed people. And therefore, all believers must be exhorted to come and to partake. As we said about guarding the table, the church must also guard against those who are unfit to attend, those who have no knowledge or to attend it in the sense of partaking. All are welcome to attend, but to partake, as we've said already, is a different thing. The church has a responsibility to guard the table. And sometimes, as a form of discipline, there would be those who are not to partake of the Lord's Supper until uh, the situation, the sin, has been remedied. And so there's a guardian of the purity of the table. But notice the importance of church membership. The importance of church membership. The work of guarding the Lord's church and the Lord's table implies an importance regarding church membership. The Lord calls his people to join themselves to the ministry of the local church, to place themselves under the shepherding curve of the church. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13 and the verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17. And there the word of God says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy, and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And so there are those who are in oversight, those who place themselves under that oversight, that shepherding care. And without members, there can be no work for elders or pastors. Without members, there can be no elders or pastors because they come out of the membership. They come out of the membership. When we think of those who obey the rule, one-time visitors, if they came into the congregation and one of the elders said, well, here's a seat, and they showed them to a seat, that person would obey. They would obey the rule. It's a common courtesy. As a visitor, you do the normal practice and you obey. If we stand to sing and you're able to stand to sing as a visitor, you will stand to sing. If we sit to pray, then as a visitor, you would sit to pray. You would follow the, the guidelines or the common way of worship that we have as a congregation. In taking communion, you're called to examine yourself in light of being a holy and godly people. But when we think of membership, there is a committing by yourself to the leadership of the church, to a shepherding by that leadership who care for your soul and who watch for these things that are dangerous and problematic. A worldly attitude, being absent from the house of God. And so membership is a step further. It's putting yourself under the oversight of the church rather than being a lone Christian. It brings responsibility. This is my church. I want to pray for this church. I want to support this church. I desire the gospel to be preached 
in all its fullness at this church, and I will be found here to support that. And there is a connection then to coming to the Lord's table uh, because the table is seen, it is presented by the leadership of the church under the authority of Christ. It is the elders and the minister who supervise, as it were, that table and invite the people of God to come. When we think of the Free Presbyterian Church, we have an open policy to invite professing Christians who are non-believers to attend the Lord's table. Uh, those who are visitors, those who are being introduced to the life of the church, but that should not be a permanent arrangement. Regular communicants at the Lord's table should become members, should place themselves under the oversight of the shepherding care of the elders. And so we encourage all who attend church for their spiritual good to seriously consider becoming a member of a sound and biblical church. And there are a number of thoughts here regarding church membership. We're dealing with communion and then into membership. Who may be considered for membership? Those who can testify that they are born again and trust in Christ alone for salvation. The Free Presbyterian Church of North America insists on a born-again membership. Those who have been saved, those who know Christ, those whose lives have been changed by the power of the Savior. It's an easy thing to understand. It's a biblical thing. We turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 28 again. One of the verses we've turned to, I think, quite a bit recently. And it's clear here that those who are part of the church are those who are redeemed. The apostle says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So there we have the church. We have the members within that church. All that that church is and what does Paul say? They've been purchased by the blood of Christ. They've been saved, redeemed. They've repented from sin. They're looking to the Savior. There is a clear born-again membership. And this verse, of course, directs the eldership and the pastor to feed and nurture and care for the church of Christ. That's the responsibility of leading the church. And we all have responsibilities to the church to support that, to teach that, to preach that. When should you become a member when should you become a member? The guideline is one year after conversion or after your first attendance here at the church. Normally it takes a year to get to know the ministry of a church. You can think of what we do at Christmas, what we do at Easter. We can think of the consistency of the church. Every preacher can preach a good sermon now and again. But is that consistent? What is that church like? Are you being fed in your souls? You have to enter into the life of the church to do that. You have to attend the meetings to understand. Are the people in the church friendly? Nobody is answering and saying, yes, we're friendly. Are the people in the church friendly? And that's an important thing for many individuals. They want to come to a church where they can know people and be friendly with people and get to know other believers 
And you have to attend and you have to come and spend time to understand that and to be able to discern these things. And when we think of becoming, coming to a church and becoming a member, that word discernment is vital. That word discernment is important. We need discernment. There are many churches and they set aside biblical truth, biblical doctrines. They set aside the importance of worshipping rightly and properly as we see in the word of God. All these things are set aside and we as the Lord's people need to be discerning to understand is this a biblical church? Is the gospel of Christ preached here? Is this preaching the standard of preaching that glorifies God, that will feed my soul. And sometimes it takes time to discern that. Preachers can preach a good sermon now and again. Bad preachers can preach a good sermon now and again. Good preachers can preach a bad sermon now and again. Preachers are all fallible men. And therefore we ought not to judge a church just on one service or just on one sermon. Sometimes I think things are very, very clear that we know we don't want to attend this church. If it's clear there is a liberal agenda, an ecumenical agenda, then that is obvious to us and we will not attend. But often we need to give time and we need to pray and desire the Lord's leading. If you're enjoying the blessing of the church, why would you not join if you're enjoying the ministry, if you're enjoying the fellowship, if you agree with what that church believes, then why would you not join? There would need to be strong reasons for that. And so it is important to attend the church of God, to become a member and to discern that. Discern that. Sometimes we think a church is good, we agree with what they believe, but as time moves by we realize we're not getting fed properly the pastor's preaching things that we don't necessarily agree with that are in the bible we have a problem here and that takes time and it's far better to have the problem far better to discern that's not the church for you before you commit to it before you submit to the oversight before you become a member than afterwards when should you become a member? One year after conversion or after the first attendance of the church and then after baptism. Baptism, as we said last week, comes first and then membership. So the question arises, in what church should you become a member? In what church should you become a member? This is something that you have to decide yourself. We could say, become a member here. And we would encourage that and desire you to come and support the work of God here. But that is a decision that you need to make yourself. When we think of churches, before the Reformation, everyone was Catholic, basically. But now there are many churches. We have Lutheran churches and Anglican churches and Reformed churches and churches that are Presbyterian. Through the years, churches have branched out, and now it is a big decision you can make the decision, well, I'm a Presbyterian. I believe in the Presbyterian form of government. I'm not a Catholic. I'm not an Anglican. I'm not a Congregationalist. I'm not a Lutheran. I'm a Presbyterian. I want to attend a Presbyterian church. And so you've narrowed it right down to Presbyterianism. But then there's another problem. What Presbyterian denomination? 
Because here in North America, we have very many Presbyterian denominations we have ourselves. We have Presbyterian denominations that are liberal and woke and support all the liberal and sinful agendas of the day. We have Presbyterian denominations that differ. We have an open policy regarding baptism. It's up to the individual. Majority of Presbyterians do not have that open position. They would be infant Baptist and expect the children of members uh, to be baptized as infants. And we can think of the differences in worship. Some would sing only the Psalms. Some, like ourselves, would sing the Psalms and sound good biblical gospel hymns. And so there are differences. We, we then come, well, Presbyterian churches differ on versions. We use the King James Version here, but not every Presbyterian church uses the King James Version. Some Presbyterian churches have women elders and women preachers. What's our view on that? And so there are differences even within Presbyterianism. And it comes back to studying the Bible. What is a biblical church? And the church that you believe is closest to the Bible should be the church that you desire to attend, a church where you're blessed. Not the church that is closest to your home. Not the easiest one that takes two minutes to get to and come back. I had, on a number of occasions, I had the great privilege of being able to walk to church. I basically lived, uh, when I passed a church in Northern Ireland, in the parking lot of the church. Uh, which meant that if I was running late, it was still only a 10 second walk across the parking lot uh, to church. I lived, I think, maybe 50, 60, 70 meters uh, from the entrance to the church for several years. Uh, back in Northern Ireland uh, because my father was the pastor there not because it was the closest church uh, it just so happened that uh, being the pastor the child of the pastor well you lived very very close to the church but we need to attend and become a member of churches that are a church that we believe is sound that upholds the principles of God's word that preaches the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ why am I a free Presbyterian? Well, because of providence, providence. I was born into a free Presbyterian family. My grandmother was converted at the mission that commenced our denomination. I knew nothing else. And in the providence of God, I was grounded in my faith. I became a free Presbyterian, not merely by birth, but by conviction as well. I believe what our denomination believes. I believe in the doctrines that we preach. I believe in the system of government and it would be very difficult for me to abandon ship and go somewhere else because some things would have to change. And I don't want those things. I don't believe those things should change. I've been committed to the Free Presbyterian Church basically all my life, nearly 20 years as a member. I went to their college. I've pastored in several churches. If I were to leave, people would say, well, why? What's going on here? He must have a very good reason. And so I'm a free Presbyterian because of providence. That's what I was born into. That's what I experienced. And then conviction. I believe this is where God wants me. I believe this is where God has called me. What is your reason? It can be providence. You could have been brought to this church as a child. You could have been brought to this church through many ways. Uh, but are you convicted that this is the place that you should be? 
that God has called you, that God has directed you to. There are many who judge churches by the fellowship. They say, oh, there's not a lot of people here, so this won't be my church. There's no young families here, or very few young families. So I'm not going to come to this church. I'm going to go somewhere else. Well, if that family joined the church, there would be another young family. And therefore, eventually, if that happened on several occasions, there would be more young families, and that would no longer be an issue. How many small churches would be full if people did not leave for social reasons? The doctrine doesn't matter, people will say. And I've seen people move between churches with ease. So much ease, I've sat back in amazement. If you believe what that church teaches, support that church. Pray that God will bring others to that same conviction. I've seen individuals floating between churches that are so, so different. They're influenced and easily influenced. We need to know what we believe and attend a church where those things are held to and believed. So it's important to join a church. It's important what kind of church that is. And it is the individual's decision before God. Usually it is the will of God to join the church fellowship where God is feeding your soul, where you find that faithful care, and where you agree with the doctrine and practices of the church. But there's another thing to remember. No church is perfect. Is this church perfect? It's not perfect. It's not perfect. We desire to be close to God. We desire, as it were, perfection, to be the best that we can be by the grace of God. But no church is perfect. And we need to remember that. No church is perfect. Many float around looking for that perfect church. And they drift between churches and they drift between churches for 20, 30, 40 years with no real spiritual home. No church is perfect. So what to look for in a church? We've touched on this already, but what should we look for? Well, a church that is confessional is the first point here. A church that has a statement of doctrine. A church that believes a well-proved statement of doctrine like the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, Reformed churches subscribe to doctrines that were defended in the Reformation. We have uh, Dutch congregations that hold to the Heidelberg Catechism and other uh, confessions, the Belgic Confession, etc. Presbyterian churches, mainly the Westminster Confession of Faith. And so there is a tried and proven statement of doctrine. And they hold to that. This is what we believe. And it is important to join a church that has stated what it believes. Because then that is what should be taught from the pulpit. You know what you're getting. You know what you're getting. A church that is united in doctrine and practice. And this is the application of a church being confessional. In other words, this is the doctrine we believe. And so the Westminster Confession of Faith in this congregation is taken. This is the summary of our faith. This is what we believe the Bible teaches. This is a substandard under the word of God. So we believe this. Then we come into the pulpit and we teach this. But then when it comes to practicing it, we just set it aside. No, we're to teach and practice. A church that is united in doctrine and practice. A consistent church. A consistent church. And how do we put that into practice? We can think of ourselves believing in separation and being separate from apostate churches. Do we invite the priest into the pulpit? 
I'm away this Wednesday night. So will the local Roman Catholic priest or the Archbishop of Canterbury or some modern apostate church leader come and replace me? No. Because we believe they shouldn't and we practice that they don't. And there must be standards of holiness and godliness that we practice. We can think of communion. Someone who sinned immorally the night before. And we see that and we know that. And they're in the communion service. Well, they would need to be very clear they were converted and saved before partaking of that communion. A church, thirdly, that is separated from apostasy, separate from ecumenism, that room word trend in Protestantism. If we announced that uh, there were men coming or women from other churches to preach, something would be wrong. The charismatic pastor, the Presbyterian Church of Canada, something would be wrong. We believe in being separate from these things, not in isolation. We have fellowship with sound churches. We have fellowship with men who preach the same truths that we do. But there are many organizations and churches that fellowship with liberal and ecumenical churches and move away from that. There are many missionary parachurch organizations outside the church. And the big problem with them is they need to raise finance and support, not from one denomination like our missionaries, but they need the support of other churches. And therefore, they need to appeal to other churches. They need to appeal to churches that have very different standards. A church separated from apostasy, a church that calls people to personal holiness, seeking to call people away from the world, from worldly fads, from dangerous trends and temptations. And that is important. Fifthly, a church that honors the Lord's day as God's gift and command to his people. There's one day in seven to keep holy unto the Lord, and it is a day of worship. And we're to use those opportunities to worship God. Sometimes people can't attend both services and the prayer meeting because of circumstances. We understand that. And in members, we, we understand that. But the principal desire should be in our hearts that if we are able to be there, then we are there. We're living in a country where there is relative freedom to be able to attend the house of God. And we are Sabbatarians. We believe that day is set apart from God. And if new believers keep the Lord's day and rest and study and attend the house of God, there will be growth and there will be blessing. Sixthly, a church that provides pastoral care for its members. Preaching the truth is a vital purpose. And the church is a preaching center, but it is more than a preaching center. And here uh, the pastor is always available to arrange a visit for lunch, for coffee, for a meeting here at the church. There's an availability of coming and receiving a pastoral care. A church that is evangelistic. There must be a burden for lost souls within the church and within the community. And the last point, a church that faithfully preaches the word of God in a balanced ministry. The church should not focus on one issue. Many churches focus on prophecy. What's going to happen at the end of the world? End times. And that is the big focus. We're not saying that preaching these things is wrong. What we're saying is a church must not focus solely on one issue. It is to feed the church with the whole counsel of God. All that God has revealed in his word. A balanced ministry. And that's why we've started to go through the book of 1 Timothy. And why do we do that? 
to understand what Timothy is saying, but we will be coming to doctrines that we may not have heard preached before. Doctrines that we may not ordinarily choose to preach them on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening. We go through the book, what is God saying to us? And there will be things in that book that represent part of the whole counsel of God that we will consider. And preaching in a series like that is a very good and beneficial way of preaching truths that we may miss, we may not necessarily draw attention to. You can't preach everything in one sermon. And so there are truths we may skip. When we come to the Word of God, say creation, for example, we could preach through the book of Acts. We come to, I think, creation around Acts 17. And it's dealt with in a particular way. God created this world. But if we were to go into more detail and more depth, well, there's a series in Genesis. We could start at Genesis 1 and consider the creation of the world and the lessons and application we can learn from that. And, of course, uh, there are many other things. If we just preach the Old Testament week in, week out, we're not going to come to the Gospels and to consider the death of Christ directly as it is revealed to us. And so there's a need for a balanced ministry. We can't preach everything in every single sermon. We can't preach everything in a year's preaching. But there should be a ministry that is, that is balanced and not focusing just on one issue. And so in the interest of being objective regarding choosing a church, there are these criteria for a biblical church to consider and to look at. And so I trust that this has been helpful and this reminder of communion and this reminder regarding what we are to look for in a church. And next week, God willing, we'll come to consider our own denomination, the history and purpose of it, the week after the distinctives, and then I think the week after that we will come to consider membership and the responsibilities of it in more detail. We'll close for prayer, and of course if there are any questions, we don't have time now, but... On another occasion, or you can send them or ask them privately to me. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for thy word. We rejoice in it. Uh, we thank thee, Father, for communion, for the Lord's Supper that reminds us of who thou art, of thy Son, our Saviour. And Father, we beseech thee today that we would have a blessed time around thy table, and that as we've considered membership, that we would discern the church where thou would want us to be. We would have discernment and we would be led by thee. Father, we pray that if thou would continue to strengthen us and enable us to be a biblical church, to be a New Testament church, to preach Christ in all his fullness, to have that balanced ministry as well. Father, we realize we are feeble, we are weak, we are human. But we need thee, we need thy help, we need thy strength. And so come and help us. Come and bless us. Come and do us good. And may we enjoy and be blessed through thy worship this day. We beseech thee for Christ's sake. Amen.